Hello, and welcome to Asia Perspectives. I'm your host, Naka Kondo, Senior Editor. In March this year, we launched Back to Blue, an ocean health initiative by The Economist Group and the Nippon Foundation, aiming to provide actionable insights on issues regarding ocean pollution. So today, I'm excited to be joined by Charles Goddard, Editorial Director for The Economist Group. Charlie's journey on ocean issues at The Economist Group started long before Back to Blue. He has been leading our World Ocean Summit since 2012, and of course now, our leader and mentor for Back to Blue and all things ocean-related. Thank you for joining us today, Charlie. It's a great pleasure, as always, Naka, and also to be participating with you in Back to Blue. Thank you. So, Charlie, can you talk a bit about why we started Back to Blue? what we aim to achieve and how we're going to achieve these goals? Back to Blue is a particularly special project for us at The Economist Group. It's a joint initiative, which is very unusual for us because it's the first time that we've worked together with another organization in this particular way between ourselves and the Nippon Foundation. And the Nippon Foundation is Japan's largest and most prominent foundation and a foundation that does a great deal of good work in the ocean, notably trying to improve our knowledge of the ocean, to improve the science of the ocean, and also to promote ocean health and sustainability. Very much a natural fit in many ways for what we ourselves have been trying to do in the ocean over the years, to try and focus on ocean health, restoring ocean health and sustainability. I think given that both organizations have focused on those aims and objectives, it makes our relationship in Back to Blue a particularly apt one and a particularly fit one. So Back to Blue itself arose out of a common understanding, really, between ourselves and the Nippon Foundation that pollution in the ocean is increasing and worsening and that the threats to life in the ocean, to ocean ecosystems, to the health of the ocean, and indeed to human health, are magnifying almost year by year now. And that the trajectory, if you will, of that pollution is accelerating and not abating, if you want to put it that way, despite, I think, enormous efforts by international organizations, by the global community, indeed, by organizations such as the United Nations, the G20, G7, by NGOs and civil society across the world, by ordinary citizens, and of course, by businesses to try and stem the extent and the growing extent of pollution in the ocean. So we were particularly interested in addressing the issue of pollution through Back to Blue, much more holistically, perhaps, than has been done to date. And by that, I mean that plastics, I think, for very good reasons, has for a long time taken the lead in framing the challenge of ocean pollution for us. Of course, it's very visible. It's highly contaminating. It lasts a long time in the ocean. And partly the reason for that is that it is derived from fossil fuels. And its mere presence, its visibility, I think, has tended to overshadow other serious marine pollution sources and concerns. And among those concerns, particularly, I think, are chemicals and chemical pollution. And I think what we hope to do at Back to Blue is to really build a more rounded, a more integrated global dialogue around ocean pollution, adding, I hope, where we can to the already rich discussions and progress being made in plastics 
while exploring how to address and to draw into the global dialogue and conversation other marine pollutants and chemicals especially, I think. Having that perspective will be particularly important because the issue of chemicals in the ocean and other pollutants in the ocean is as pressing, as urgent as plastics pollution, yet tends to be very invisible at this point in time, both uh, uh, materially and metaphorically. And so I hope that by us concentrating on that, we will be able to draw that into the global conversation on pollution and also frame that conversation in a more holistic way, as well as also think about what it will take to get to zero pollution in the ocean. And that also is another key aim of the Back to Blue program, is to use our media presence globally, working closely with the Nippon Foundation to build a picture of global ocean pollution that is a more comprehensive picture, not just a picture that's focused primarily on plastic. It's great to hear that we're aiming to get to zero pollution. Indeed, as you said, plastic pollution is much more visible than other pollutants in the ocean. And it's really good to know that we're trying to shed some light on those problems as well. But having said that, plastic is still a big issue, especially in Asia, where there's a lot of attention, but not enough action. So we do still want to talk a little bit about that. Later this month, we will be launching our first big research piece, the Plastics Management Index. Can you share with our audience briefly how the research was done and what knowledge gaps we will be able to address with this index? So we are indeed, as you say, about to release this research, which ranks 25 countries across the world on their capacity, really, to minimize plastics mismanagement while also promoting the optimal production and the optimal use of plastics as a resource. And I don't really want to give too much away at this point about the results of the index, but this really has been both an exciting and a really significant, a major piece of research and a major undertaking from us as we do with all our indices. And by that, I mean that we have a major index team that looks at the literature to understand what has and hasn't been done in the field before. We scour each of the countries in the index that we have to identify where the data sources and the gaps are around plastics and plastics management, and thereby what we can fill in on those data sources quantitatively and what we will need to explore qualitatively, usually through well-articulated questions. We've had an expert panel process, which runs through all of the proposed index indicators and sub-indicators in considerable detail with a group of experts from academia, from civil society, from businesses and government and international organizations. It's a very balanced group of people, we hope, so that we can get that rich and balanced perspective across all the countries that we're dealing with. And then we did a survey of business and consumers in country to, in a way, ground truth our findings. So it's been quite a process and has taken the best part of eight to nine months to pull together. I think by doing it in such a detailed way, we hope to be able to identify where the key management gaps in each country are, where, for example, aspects of a country's governance system, for example, are either undermining good management or promoting it in some cases, or 
There is a deficit, for example, in systemic capacity in a country or where stakeholder engagement, the private sector commitment or responsible consumer actions are lagging behind possibly. So we look at all of those kinds of indicators and we try and build a picture for each of those countries as to where they stand, how ready are they to address the question of plastics management and where are the gaps that they have. And by identifying those gaps, with the findings of the index, we hope to work in a number of countries alongside other organizations and other initiatives to help the various stakeholders not just the government, but businesses and consumer groups and NGOs who are working on plastics to explore and address the gaps that there are and that we identify in plastics management through the index. So that really is how we're putting it together and what we hope to achieve. I've heard you speak time and again that Asia is one of the epicenters of plastics pollution in the ocean. So What existing plastics management policies and initiatives are there in Asia and what are the challenges that they face? Well, of course, it's now part of the canon, really, of plastics knowledge, isn't it, that Asia has a number of countries that feature in the top 10 or top 20 list of countries to have mismanaged effectively their plastic waste. And a number of countries are well known for having serious plastics leakage challenges, among them, of course, China, Indonesia, Vietnam. I won't name them all because there are plenty, and I think we all know which countries they are. And together, I think these countries are responsible for a significant portion of the estimated 11 to 13 million tons of plastic that enter the seas every year, either through poorly managed plastic systems or mismanagement of waste and plastic. I also think it's really important to note that each of these countries is now also engaged in their own efforts, their own national level efforts to manage plastic waste, while also cooperating with other countries, with governments and organizations such as foundations, NGOs and business alliances across the world. And just as one example, the United Nations Economic and Social Commission for Asia, UNSCAP, In partnership with Japan, the government of Japan launched a project in 2020 that aims to reduce the environmental impact of cities in Southeast Asia by addressing plastic waste pollution in rivers and the ocean. And four cities are going to be part of that project, and those are based in Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, and Vietnam. I think Indonesia, particularly collaborating with global partners such as Systemic, which is a consultancy, and the Global Plastic Action Partnership, which is organized under the auspices of the World Economic Forum, are exploring, I think, one of the more ambitious programs now to eliminate by 2025 75% of plastic leakage into the ocean and to reach near zero plastic pollution by 2040. And these are hugely ambitious. It's now exploring how it would do this challenge. And I think. It's just a testimony, I think, now to the movement that we're seeing in many countries across the region around plastics. But of course, the challenges remain enormous. Plastic production, of course, continues to grow and increase year by year, as does demand for consumer and other goods, much of which comes in plastics. And of course, we're dealing with many emerging economies here where demand is very significant and growing year by year for these goods and products. 
and where waste and collection systems and recycling systems, as well as the progress of the circular economy, often in a very early or a fragile or poor state, they're relatively nascent in many places. Hence, I think the problem of keeping up with the growth and use of plastics, whilst also at the same time trying to address in a systemic way the challenges of plastic waste and recycling and collection are really, really very pressing. And it is urgent action that's still needed and systemic solutions that are needed rather than one-off solutions such as plastic bag bans, systemic solutions that are needed in order to be able to address these kinds of quite profound and quite structural problems. So we wonder, are there any new concerns or issues in terms of plastics management that was brought by the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, it's a great question. And of course, the COVID pandemic saw a really huge uptick, I think, in the use of single-use plastics, and particularly for medical equipment, for PPEs, masks. And there have been some studies and, uh, and quite a lot of anecdotal evidence that this has significantly increased plastic waste and hence plastic leakage into rivers and into the ocean. I mean, who hasn't seen masks and other throwaway materials either lying on the ground near you or, or when you go to the coast? on beaches and in the sea. There's also been a major rise in use of plastic at supermarkets and you know, particularly where food is concerned and consumers have needed to be reassured about the hygiene of food, which has been potentially handled by lots of people at a time like this. And much of this will, I think, take some undoing after the pandemic, if indeed it is possible to undo it. The reliance on single-use plastics has certainly risen during the pandemic. And I think this has certainly created or compounded the global waste crisis. And we have to now think about how we're going to undo that specific side of it. And dealing with it, I think, is not going to be simple at all, as much of this really involves consumer perception of their own health and how you manage that. And one hope, I think, is that we can begin to get to grips after the pandemic and after the pandemic is finished with packaging Packaging is a really serious problem with the materials used for packaging, either recycled plastics or alternative materials to plastics or redesigned products and their recyclability. If we can start to do that, like everything with plastics, we will have to approach this not on a piecemeal basis, but you know, again, systemically tackling consumer preferences, consumer choices, I think, around packaging and alternatives to single-use packaging as well as, I think, on the business side. So not only do we have to make sure that we try and address the consumer side, but we must understand and help and think about how businesses are going to use and package and dispose or recycle the goods that they create and sell. So I think there's a two-pronged approach that's needed post-pandemic, but it's, in a way, a shame that the pandemic has, in effect, compounded a crisis that was already very significant and difficult and gives us another set of challenges to address over the coming years. So what's next for Back to Blue after the Plastics Management Index? Can you give us a sneak peek on what to expect? Well, let me just mention a couple of things. Once we launch the Plastics Management Index at the end of September, we'll then be looking in four countries to bring the various stakeholders together in those countries 
through the findings of the index. So we'll be using the index to guide those discussions, to explore how the systemic management of plastics in those countries might evolve and might deepen and how we can use best practices in one country to help seed ideas and actions and progress in another and working with partners from other constituencies. So whether they be multilateral banks and institutions or other NGOs that are already working in those countries to bring the Economist brand and the Nippon Foundation brand to bear, to draw people to the table to have these discussions. So that's the first thing I'd mention. The second concerns chemicals. We're now well underway with the research phase of a major report on chemical pollution in the ocean. This is really exciting. I'm particularly excited by this, and this report is scheduled for release in the first quarter next year. We've already done the expert panel meetings for this report, which were fascinating and hugely educational. I hope and believe the report will play a a significant role in unlocking for us all this invisible wave of pollution in the marine environment, which, as I said, is both physically and metaphorically unseen, really, at this present time, but yet is, in my view, equally as important as other pollutions such as plastic pollution. And then set us up, and that piece of research, which we hope to release early next year, will set us up for the second and third year of the Back to Blue initiative, in which we'll be continuing to work alongside our joint initiative partners, the Nippon Foundation, to build a global consensus around how to reach zero pollution in the ocean. Thank you so much for joining us today, Charlie. The ocean is our largest ecosystem, and it's now facing immense challenges. I hope our research will prompt more discussions on issues regarding ocean pollution and create real changes. Thank you, Naka. And thank you all for listening. In the lead up to COP26, we will have more episodes on the Plastics Management Index. So stay tuned and subscribe to this channel. You can also sign up to our newsletter on backtoblueinitiative.com and be the first to hear about our latest research and related content on Back to Blue. And if you have any feedback or questions about this podcast or any aspect of our work, please email us at asiaperspectives at economist.com. 